Hello, Millie. How you doing, Millie? You what? You're hanging in there? Good for you. I've known Millie Smith for 30 years at least. We go back to Mountain View. She was a part of the congregation. Her husband, her husband Will, one day was digging a hole at the parsonage to put up a fence post. Will was an engineer. And so, you know, most people just dig a hole. Will calculated everything. You know, that, that, that fence, I'm sure, is still standing today. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. And this is a question. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole. This was a... Are there any attorneys in the room? Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define a neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition... His heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? What do you think, asked Jesus. Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. 
Jesus said, Go and do the same. The word of God for the people of God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in God's sight. God who is my strength. God who is my redeemer. Anyone watch a baseball game last night? I mean a baseball game that, you know, not the A's and the Red Sox, but the Giants and San Diego. How about Tim? Maybe he will redeem himself for the rest of the season. All-star break is coming, so he is getting ready for the second half. And I notice someone in the room is wearing a giant jersey with Lincecum on the back. I wonder who that is. Jesus always told stories in order to get his point across. He would make that case relating it to something that persons were familiar with. I'm going to try something similar by telling a story. I want you to consider this a young person in a Fortune 500 corporation. This young person has been on a mission for the company in an attempt to increase sales, productivity, and help to raise the morale. Boy, if you just look around, the big wigs in the organization marvel at his accomplished task. He's doing a phenomenal job. Everyone is just giving him all sorts of praises. Even the upstart is rejoicing. But there in the midst of it all is a skeptic. Ever been in the presence of a skeptic? Of course, none of you have been a skeptic. But you've always been, you've been surrounded by those who, who doubt or who try to undermine. And so this skeptic asks, what about that unfiled report that was due two weeks ago? Where is it? I'm in charge of that end of the, of the company and I need it right away. The rejoicing ceases for a moment. And this youngster took time to collect, collect themselves and said, but that's not what I was sent here for. That's not why I came That's not what I was hired to do. I was told that my mission was to increase sales, raise the productivity level, and infuse new energy into the life of this organization. 
The skeptic looked at him and said, that's not good enough. How can you stand here accepting all of these plaudits when you know your job is incomplete? Which is more important? Kind boss? Your dumb report? Or the results? Consider that you have received more than you ask for. You can go out and fill out that report. You know what you want it to say. Ever been caught in situations like that? Was a skeptic trying to discredit the work done and the anticipated results which surely were coming? Perhaps that's what that young attorney was doing to Jesus. Trying to discredit. Because by now people are flocking, listening, doing what Jesus instructs them to do. In the 1960s, I had traveled with my college glee club, the Morehouse College Glee Club, to Chicago. We had gone to the Mid Midwest for a series of concert stops. We had a spare day on our hand, and and I decided that I wanted to take in a ball game in the city of Chicago. And so I took a trip to the historic Wrigley Field. I invited several of my other choir mates to go along with me, but most were not wanting to do anything like that. Since Morehouse and, of course, the Glee Club was an all-male organization... Many of those wanted to just hang loose that day and, and perhaps visit with some of the young ladies they had met the evening before. However, a couple of individuals did decide to join me. You know what we saw that day? It was more than we had anticipated, more than we bargained for. We saw the Dodgers and the Cubs lock horns. And we saw lefty Sandy Koufax strike out 19 batters, setting a new record. Boy, were we thrilled to see something like that. Not only did we witness a great game won by the Dodgers, but we received far more than we had thought we would. How often do we receive more than we bargain for? We don't expect it. But to us, the bargains come. The hoped for things. Sometimes we discount the blessings that come our way. 
Sometimes we try to push the blessings aside because we don't want to go out on a limb of faith. We want to just stay in that rut. I said earlier, there are those who might remember the 45s, the 33s, the 78. You know, they would go round and round and sometimes they'd get stuck. You think you're hearing something and then it skips, it gets stuck, it gets stuck. That's how we are sometimes. We just get stuck in a rut. No leaving out on limbs of faith. But content to continue doing the same thing. The same results. We do the same thing. We sometimes discredit those who come at us with new and innovative ideas. Because what? We've never done it that way. Such seemed to be the case of the lawyer who tried to discredit Jesus and set Jesus up for scorn. Teacher, you are a Jew. You know, of course Jesus knows he's a Jew. Like I know I'm black. (laughs) You know all of the commandments of Moses. You know all of the great works of the prophets. But here you stand rejoicing over the work of a motley crew that's loyal to you. Now looking at you Jesus You've not attended a prestigious institution You've not been awarded a degree You've not received a Nobel Prize or Pulitzer Prize But here you are speaking as one with authority Talking about the good life and what one might expect You know, Jesus, you even allowed yourself to be called the Messiah. If you are so good, tell me, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Look at me. I'm already rich. I have a palatial place in which I live. But I want to add to my wealth. There are times when we will just not leave well enough alone. Wanda has, where's Wanda? There's one. Wanda has a million dollars stashed under her mattress. (laughs) Now I'm not going to tell you how I know this under her mattress. We have one million dollars stashed under our mattresses. And then we ask the Lord to increase it to three million. Like the Lord is going to go under the mattress and do some hocus pocus. And suddenly it will become three. Wanda's house burns and all of its contents go up in smoke. What does she have then? Ashes. 
Did we get what we bargained for? Oh, another thing about Wanda. Wanda knows that she's my fall lady. You know, that she knew this morning when I, when I saw her again that I was going to pick on her. Wanda just had twins. In other words, she got more than what she bargained for. The lawyer found out that in order to inherit eternal life, he must become more like, more than what he is. He needed to become a neighbor to help those who were in need. This meant that he could not selectively pick who his neighbor would be. In our neighborhood, I, I don't know them by name. But we have good neighbors. Connie asked me, she said, do you know all these folk? I said, no, I don't know them all, but they know me. They know that I'm watching, that I'm outside of the house most of the day, just doing things, passing and waving you know, that's a southern thing. If you've ever lived in the south, you sit on the porch and you just wave at cars or people as they walk by and someone will ask, who is that? I don't know. <laughs> Any person who came along in need of help could become his neighbor. In the living room of our home, our home home and in Georgia, in Covington, Georgia, there is a plaque that reads, Let me live in the house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. My parents live that out. My sister, just deceased, did the same thing. A neighbor to those who came by. Feeding. Clothing. There's something about neighbor and family. You can't choose your family member. You're stuck with whoever comes out as a member of your family. At the funeral last week, I saw how dysfunctional some people in my family are, but they are my family. They probably think the same thing about me because I live in California. <laughs> Go figure. Growing up in a small southern town, we had well-defined neighborhoods. That was Harristown, Short Street, Frogtown. Texas Alley, colorful names. In each neighborhood, you got to know every person on your street, the next street over, and even the next street over than that, over that. There were four of us who grew up together. 
I lived on Avery Street. Doug lived on Hill Street. James and Elsie lived on Lackey Street. And we ruled the neighborhood. We could go from house to house to house. We would leave house at 8 o'clock in the morning and at 5 o'clock in the afternoon we would show up at home. Mama or daddy didn't ask, well, did you eat? Because they knew that we were going to find food somewhere in someone's home and not be concerned because that was a neighborhood. People took care of one another. No questions asked. I can recall a time when a neighbor, a distant cousin of mine and my brother-in-law had, had gotten together to raise a pig. Slaughter time came. My cousin had, uh, he was full of the spirit. Or maybe I should say he was full of the spirits. He was drunk. And so he took his half of the hog and, and he was headed home. It had been raining and of course he slipped in that Georgia mud. He went one way, the half of the hog went the other. I guess you know all sorts of neighbors came out to help him get that pig back into his arms and on his way home. Today, if we saw someone struggling to get half of a hog out of the mud, what would we do? Pass by and say, look at that, they are so silly. We would pass them by so fast that our heads would spin. Our neighborhoods have changed. And thankfully, our neighborhoods have changed. No longer is our neighbor the person next door, across the tracks. But with all of the advent of technology, the technological advances, our neighborhoods now extend into Africa, Central America, anywhere there is Wi-Fi or Skype. Our consciences have been pricked to include persons into our global neighborhood who only a few years ago were not worthy of our friendship or so we thought. Aren't we glad that we have worked to tear down walls which separated others and us and have gone about building bridges of understanding with those we were once afraid to associate with. I live in California. And what a great place it is. When I tell friends of mine of, of the friendships that I've, that I've built up over the years... That as a district superintendent... I served churches that had some 14 languages spoken. And I didn't understand one word of them, but I under, always understood this. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. Whenever they would sing that song or any other song, they could sing it in any language, and instinctively I knew what it was that they were singing. In our quest to become neighborly, we must be reminded that there is a duty to help others even when the trouble one is in is because of one's own fault. We all have had, we've all made mistakes. Many of us have fallen in the mud. And there has been someone to come by to pick us up. All too often we say of someone in trouble, they have no one to blame but themselves. That may be true. But God helps us in spite of our foolishness. So we must do as Christ implores us to do. When you see a fellow creature suffering and it shocks your refined sensibilities and you say, poor devil, and pass on, you think that you have pitied them. But you haven't. Pity, you think, is a passive virtue, but it isn't. If you really pity anyone, you go madly out to help them. You don't stand by with tears of sensibility running down your cheeks. You stretch out your hand because that's what you are called to do. Don't pass them by. In order for us to get more out of life, we must consider doing one of the following. A person had fallen into a pit and could not get out. Now which of these would, might be you? Poor fellow. You must have been very foolish to get into a mess like that. I'm very sorry that I can do nothing to help you. Or maybe it's this. I am very sorry that I cannot get you out of the pit, but if you ever do get out of the pit, I will be able to give you some advice as to how not to do it again. Or say nothing. Get down into the pit and lift the person out. Our duty to our neighbor should be to do as Christ would do. Climb in and help the person out. Perhaps over the next few weeks or months or years, we in America will talk more openly about our neighborhoods. And who is allowed into our neighborhoods. Not because of what they wear or how they look. Because all of God's creation is our neighborhood.
some years ago and I'll end my family and I were returning from a trip to San Francisco to Fresno we passed through the town Dos Palace and I have always been been one to watch the speed limit when going through small towns especially ones that I was unfamiliar with as we drove through town at the posted speed CB in our car and over the radio came these words from a police officer trailing behind what's a nigger like you doing driving a car like that in this town Silence. We said nothing, but continued to drive. Were we not allowed to drive in that community? Teacher, tell me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Reach out to your neighbor, especially those in need, and feel that need. Amen.